Chapter Nine of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Nine. He that winneth souls is wise. They were walking home together in the moonlight, Jenny Adams and Jim Forbes. Very bright and pretty looked Jenny, and very happy she was. It was altogether a pleasant thing to be coming home from a lecture, being very carefully escorted by a nice-looking young man and being conscious that her new hat, with its blue feather, was very becoming. Meantime her companion was unusually silent and thoughtful. The truth was he had been trying ever since they started from the hall to frame a sentence into words that suited him. He had thought of it much of the time during the lecture. A good lecture it was, too, one that at another time would have absorbed the entire attention of the young man. It was an unusual month for lectures, glowing June, but Mr. Tresevant's had been the closing one of a spring course, gotten up by the benevolently inclined for the special benefit of the large class of working people in Newton, who were rather more at leisure during the months of March and April than at any other season. It was called the People's Course, had been very popular, very well attended, and now, somewhat later in the season than had been at first intended, Mr. Tresevant closed the series with a lecture that was pronounced the best one of the course but Mr. Forbes had given somewhat divided attention to it throughout, his heart being filled with another matter, and now, having tried in vain to suit himself as to the manner in which he should speak, and feeling keenly how every moment lessened the distance toward Jenny's home, he suddenly brought before her this absorbing thought of his heart in very simple, straightforward language. "'Jenny, I do wish you were a Christian.' The voluble flow of words with which Jenny had been sweetening his silence suddenly ceased. She was very much astonished. This was not at all the manner of speech to which pretty Jenny was accustomed when she walked home in the moonlight with some fortunate young man from the factory. But then Mr. Forbes was the foreman, and very superior to all her other acquaintances. She felt this to the very tips of her fingers. Still, she did not know how to answer him. I do not know that she had ever given herself up to ten minutes' serious thought on the subject in question. So while she was very anxious to answer the remark in a becoming and proper manner, she hadn't the least idea what sort of an answer it should be. Presently she said, meekly enough, I suppose I should be a good deal better company for people like you, Mr. Forbes, than I am now, if I knew anything about such things. It isn't that and poor Jim, as he spoke eagerly, was painfully conscious that this pretty little creature was rapidly becoming better company than he found anywhere else in the world. It isn't that, but you see, it is such a blessed thing to be, and you would be so much happier and could do so much good. Something of the tremulous earnestness that was in his heart showed itself in his voice, and Jenny felt it. Straightway it roused within her that spirit of impishness that seems to hide in the heart of every pretty girl of eighteen or so, and she answered, in tones that a butterfly might have used, for all the feeling that was in them, Why, I'm happy enough. I don't know as I am ever unhappy unless I want to go to a concert or something, and can't. And as for doing good, don't you think that is awful stupid work, Mr. Forbes? Poor Jim! How could he answer her? How could he make her understand anything about it? Don't you ever feel the need of having some great, good, powerful friend, who was strong enough to help you always out of trouble, you know, or danger, and who was ready and willing to help you always? He said, speaking rapidly and with great earnestness, going back in thought to his own lonely, miserable life, 
and the awful need that had been his, and the glorious remedy he had found. Perverse Jenny had felt in a much fainter degree something of this feeling, felt it as every human heart does. But let no one imagine that she was going to reveal such a desire to Mr. Forbes. That would not have been in accordance with the same deceitful human heart. She answered lightly, Why, I've got friends, you know. Father is just as good as he can be, and he is always doing something for us children. And as for mother, why, there's nothing in this world that she ain't ready and willing to do for every one of us. And then they had turned the corner and were fairly at the steps of Mr. Adams' house. The golden opportunity was gone, and the humble, eager worker for the master almost in despair. Won't you think about it, he gasped, as she tripped up the steps. Think about what, she asked, with her hand on the doorknob and turning toward him with a bright laughing face, looking like a witch in the moonlight. She would not understand. How could he explain it to her? There was no time, anyway. About being a Christian, he said hurriedly, as the doorknob turned in her hand. I don't know how, she answered, partly in wickedness, and partly in honest truthfulness. But she finished the sentence with a low, rollicking laugh, and a, Good night, Mr. Forbes. Then the door opened and closed, and his vision had vanished. Very heavy sighs he drew as he walked slowly down the street alone. Once he put up his hand and brushed away a manly tear. He had thought so much about this, had prayed so much over it, and her manner of receiving it had been so great a disappointment to him. I don't know how, he said, in deep and pitiful humility. I don't know how to speak to a bright, smart little body like her. I don't know how to make religion attractive to her. I'm nothing but a poor stick, anyhow. He could not know that Jenny Adams went straight up the narrow staircase to her room, not waiting to give her usual gleeful account of the evening's pleasure to her mother, that the laugh vanished entirely from her face, that she unfastened the dainty knot of blue ribbon at her throat without so much as a peep into her ten-inch looking-glass to see what possible effect its becomingness might have had on her companion, that she said aloud, He's real good, anyhow, the best man that ever lived that she sat down presently, when her light was out, before the open window, and leaned her brown head on the window-seat and cried outright, that finally she knelt reverently before that window and said, Our Father who art in heaven, through to the Amen, a thing that she had not done before since she was a little girl. All this he could not know. Neither could she know that he went home and spent hours on his knees that night praying for her. But the Father in Heaven, looking lovingly, watchfully down on his creatures, knew all about them both. It was a thought born of this wrestling prayer that brought him next evening to the door of Mrs. Sayles' house. Doomed to disappointment he felt himself, however, for Miss Bronson, of whom he was in search, was not at home. After several eager questions as to her whereabouts, and when she was expected, he was about turning disconsolately away when the lady of the house came out to greet him. Very frank and hearty was her invitation to him to come in. Come, she said genially, as he hesitated. I want to see you. I haven't had a nice talk with you since you came. And, moved by a sudden impulse, he followed her into the brightly lighted room. A small person, daintily robed in white, was trotting busily from chair to sofa, bestowing treasures here and there. A rare and wonderful evening was it to baby Essie. Mama alone in the sitting-room, no papa to claim her attention, the nurse gone out for the evening, and her small self-reigning queen. She peeped at the newcomer shyly between the tiny fingers that were put up to shield her from view, 
then advanced cautiously toward his outstretched hand, finally surrendered entirely, allowing her rosebud mouth to be kissed, and putting her bit of a velvet hand into Jim Forbes' great rough one. "'That's an unusual mark of confidence,' Mrs. Sales explained. "'She is very sparing of her kisses, and not particularly fond of shaking hands. "'How are you getting on, Mr. Forbes? "'You find plenty of opportunity for work at the mills, I suppose.' "'Yes, ma'am,' Jim said. "'The busy season was coming on now, and there would be more to do than usual.' "'Oh, yes, but I mean our kind of work, "'that which you and I are both trying to do for Jesus. "'There is always so much of that kind to do,' and you have a special chance, you see, you and Mr. Sales. But Jim's eyes suddenly filled, and the form of baby Essie grew dim before him. It was so unusual for anyone to speak to him in this way of the work to be done for Jesus, speaking as if interested in the work, living for the same object. He tried to answer her to show how grateful he was for this sort of help, but his voice choked and refused to do his bidding. She was answered, though. A great tear fell on baby Essie's wee hand, and the mother, seeing it, knew that her visitor's heart was full. Was it chance, or a watching spirit's influence, that led her thoughts just then toward Jenny Adams? She spoke eagerly. "'Do you know, Mr. Forbes, I am very much interested in a new scholar who only came to my class last Sabbath, Jenny Adams. You know her, I think. Did you know she is in my class?' "'Aye, he knew it very well indeed.' A dozen times during the session of the school had his eyes and his wits wandered over to that bright, rosy-cheeked maiden, sitting so demure and looking so pretty in the corner of Mrs. Sale's class. "'I saw her there,' he managed to stammer out at last. "'I was so glad to have her come,' Mrs. Sale said with enthusiasm. "'I have been after that young lady for some time. She seemed very shy of me, but I think we shall get acquainted now.' Mr. Forbes had planned to tell Miss Bronson all about Jenny, and his longings for her. But the words were gone, not a sentence that he had intended to say came to his aid. But the one earnest, all-absorbing desire of his heart was present still, and broke forth in simple language. I want so much to have her a Christian. Yes, Mrs. Sales said, with ready sympathy. Do you think she is particularly interested, Mr. Forbes? No, Mr. Forbes answered slowly, with a peculiar lump in his throat as he remembered how little interest Jenny had exhibited. No, I can't say as I think she is. But then... But then, we wish her to be, and to wait until people are interested before we begin to pray and work for them is not the way to save the world, is it? Have you had any personal conversation with her? I tried to talk to her a little, said poor Jim in great humility. But you see, I don't know how to do it, and I made a great muddle. I think, maybe, I did more harm than good. It is very natural for us to think that, even after we have done the best that we can, Mrs. Sales said gently, feeling an immense respect for her husband's foreman. And if we walked in our own strength, I suppose we should have little else than a long line of mistakes to show. But the master, you know, can use even our blunders for his glory. But meantime, what can we do for Jenny? I want to get better acquainted with her. How would it do for me to invite her to tea, do you think, say on Saturday? Baby Essie and I could have a pleasant afternoon with her. And couldn't you call in the evening and see that she reached home safely? Did that fair little woman with the soft blue eyes and earnest face have any sort of idea of the paradise that she was opening to the young man before her? As for him, words went from him again. He could only bow and try to stammer out an appreciation of her goodness, which proved unintelligible, so far as words were concerned, 
but which, nevertheless, seemed to be entirely satisfactory to Mrs. Sayles. End of chapter 9 Recording by Tricia G.